since the decision of constitutional tribunal we have the highest numbers of percent of people who wants to have abortion on demand up to 12 weeks it's more than 70 percent the difference between safe and unsafe abortion is the difference between life and death and yet in 2023 in far too many countries in the eu women are not only denied the right to choose over their own bodies they are also criminalized for helping their sisters in need. In Malta, there is a total ban on abortion, while in countries like Poland and Hungary, the ban is almost total. As pro-life narratives spread across Europe, far-right governments tighten abortion laws. Last September, Hungary's far-right Prime Minister Viktor Orban introduced a decree obliging women to listen to the fetal heartbeat and to obtain the permission of a man before getting an abortion. This is ridiculous and degrading. Today, you will hear stories of stigma and scapegoating, but also stories of civil disobedience and international solidarity. From the left in the European Parliament, I am Marcella Via, and this is Look Left, EU Politics Under the Lens. In the third episode of Look Left, we are going to talk about this taboo topic. How has abortion become a hot topic of national and international debate? We dedicate this episode to all women who travelled abroad to get safe abortions, and all those who could not afford to. To all women who helped, and to all those who have been criminalized for doing so. This episode is dedicated to all the women who lost their lives because they were denied the right to choose. To give you an idea of the threats women are facing in the EU, you will hear the story of Justina Widrinska, a Polish women's rights defender and member of the abortion dream team and abortion without borders. But that's not all, right, David? Yeah, we've also got an interview with uh, Irish MEP Claire Daly. It's about the fifth anniversary of the repeal the eighth referendum on abortion in Ireland. But before starting, let's look at what has been happening on the streets. So we just heard the voices of uh, Amazon's employees protesting the massive layoffs from the company. In fact, 27,000 people have been forced to leave their jobs, but they're also protesting because of the company's inadequate commitment to the climate targets and to the inadequate return to office mandate. Yeah, so this is about, as you say, thousands of Amazon employees protesting against the company's uh, policies and its destructive effect on uh, people and planet. So this time it was a protest in Seattle, but it's not the first time the company's workers have taken aim at its management. Indeed, last November on uh, Black Friday, we saw massive protests in uh, Germany and France, especially over pay and conditions in the warehouses that the company runs. And we see protests generally, uh, well, quite regularly across Europe against Amazon's plans to expand in different towns and cities uh, across Europe. 
Yeah, it's true. And actually, the left has been uh, also vocal about the condition of uh, Amazon's employees. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the most uh, powerful corporations in world history. So before we say anything more, we should note that Amazon tripled its profits during the pandemic. And it's a company that, you know, has a toxic kind of model that is driving down workplace standards uh, globally. As a group, we have been pretty vocal on tackling this empire of a corporation. We think it's extremely dangerous uh, for people and planets and want to control and, and regulate the company in the interests of people and its workers. We've been big supporters of the Make Amazon Pay campaign, for example, which is about uh, taxation, making sure the company pays its uh, fair share of tax. It can definitely afford it, but uh, it will only pay it if we make it. Yeah, and also remember that uh, even uh, during the past years, Amazon's uh, workers have been very vocal about different uh, kind of violations happening in the company. So um, I really hope that uh, they keep up uh, the fight and uh, finally Amazon maybe begins to pay. But then um, let's see what happened in the European Parliament this month. It is a violation of human rights that harms people's physical, psychological and sexual health, their self-esteem and their environment. It prevents victims from entering or remaining in the labour market or from progressing in their careers, especially if they are women. So that was a Spanish MEP Maria Eugenia Rodriguez-Palop talking about sexual harassment in the EU and in EU institutions. What's been going on on that issue recently, Marcella? Yes, exactly. This week in the European Parliament, there has been a resolution on uh, sexual harassment uh, and on the Me Too evaluation, because unfortunately, harassment uh, is uh, still a big problem in the EU and within its institutions. So the resolution was adopted and let's hope to see some change. Yeah. Because often victims of harassment are still left alone in this context. Yeah, I saw that Politico had a story on uh, bullying and harassment in the European Parliament and how resistant the Parliament actually has been to change its rules around harassment and, like well, as you mentioned, the failure to protect whistleblowers. So what kind of rules are people looking for? How can they tighten up the rules around sexual harassment and combat this resistance uh, in the EU institutions? I think this is a big question. I guess the first start would be actually to have a culture of uh, accountability rather than one of impunity. I think uh, we see a lot of uh, trainings on uh, harassment in the workplace, but then uh, after that, action is still lacking. So let's see what happens after the adoption of this resolution. So there's actually a group of staff in the European Parliament who've collected testimonies of sexual harassment going on in this institution. They call themselves Me Too EP, EP for European Parliament. And if you go on that site, actually, from some of the most recent testimonies, you just see one that's titled The Time He Wanted to Trade His Signature on an Amendment for the Possibility to Grope Me. Also, The Time He Asked Me Out and Then Masturbated in Front of Me Behind His Desk. What do you think when you hear that kind of stuff, Marcella? I think it's uh, shocking and disgusting that these things happen in general. And also inside the European Parliament, uh, there is this uh, kind of bubble of protection and I'm really curious to know if these MEPs are still around because it's uh, totally unacceptable that these things happen. I just wanted to flag that uh, there is uh, a website where uh, these stories are collected and it is me2ep.wordpress.com so it's all available online. With the rise of the far right, abortion rights are under attack. Making abortion illegal puts women's lives in danger. And in this context, the work of women's rights defenders is often criminalized. 
That's why I spoke with Justina Widrinska, a brave Polish activist who was sentenced to eight months community service for helping a woman to have an abortion. Hi, Justina. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for the invitation. So before getting started, could you briefly introduce yourself? I am the Polish abortion activist. I've been helping in abortion from 2006. And uh, it started because I found myself in unwanted pregnancy. I realized how tough it is to live in this country and to have the proper information about how to do a medical abortion at home. And I started to share this knowledge I got. So this is how it started. Yes. And um, I think also your story is uh, already well known across the EU and your activism, but maybe not everyone among our audience is uh, familiar with it. So in March 2020, you have helped a woman, Neymania, to perform an abortion. And I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a bit more about uh, this story and uh, what happened. In 2020, it was the end of February, one of the organizations among the Abortion Without Borders Network got a woman who asked about help. She informed that she is not able to travel abroad. She tried twice and she canceled the visit because she was in some way blackmailed by her partner. So my colleagues called me and asked if I have uh, the pills for my own use. So I started to ask what the problem is, why the person cannot order pills by herself. And then I heard the story about the home violence by this woman trying to get abortion in the clinics. And my colleagues told me that her phone, her mailbox is controlled. So for me, it was like clear that I don't need more information about the situation of this person. And I decided to share those pills with her. I just sent them. It was just the beginning of the pandemic. We started to hear that borders uh, will be closed between Poland and Germany, between Poland and Czech Republic. So for us, it was not clear what does it mean. The borders are closed. So what about the packages? What about the pills? We'll not be able to travel, like cross the border what about the transport? And she was close to 12 weeks. The 12 weeks is the limit you can safely take the abortion pills. So this is why when I like have all those information about her situation, I have to send this. And I did. And two days after, she wrote an email that um, those pills were taken because her partner informed the police and the police came to the house and uh, took the pills. I think it's a terrible story already. And the fact that exactly like the date is very important itself because it's the beginning of the pandemic. So many people maybe were restricted from traveling. But then if you need to perform an abortion and abortion is not legal uh, in your country, that is uh, an extra layer of stress. And uh, for what you say in this case, and uh, in all the cases, I think access to safe abortion is also a matter of uh, life and death, because then uh, what can you do? I mean, abortions are going to be performed anyways. It's just a matter of uh, guaranteeing women uh, access to sexual uh, and reproductive uh, healthcare rights. So what followed from the story of Anya is that then recently on uh, March 14, you've been sentenced to eight months of community service for helping her. So could you tell us more about this process and what is its impact on the work of women rights defenders like you? So three weeks ago, we sent uh, appellation to the Court of Appeal. 
because I not agree with the verdict, I still feel not guilty and I don't regret of sending those pills to a person who was actually in very big need of help. In April, Anya gave an interview and she told how the part of her story looked like that she was in uh, very bad uh, physical conditions. She said many times to doctors that she's not able to continue this pregnancy and the doctors did nothing. So this was a torture. And when I have heard her story in the court, then I knew that what I did was actually the best thing I should do. And giving me this sentence of community service is not right because you have to help other person, especially in this kind of situation. Also, the judge, she was uh, politically nominated by the Ministry of Justice. And the same day she gave me a verdict, she received a big promotion to the Court of Appeal. Behind of this, the whole story and how dramatic it looks like, I am great that, uh, and happy that this court case took a year because we have this possibility to increase awareness among people living in Poland, not only Polish one, that abortion without borders is actually helping. So in a way, you think that also the court case, besides being very bad and based on uh, total uh, madness, I think like it, I think it's crazy to criminalize people for uh, saving other people's life. In a way, it also gave visibility to the work of women's rights defenders. Yes, of course. Amnesty International, just before the last court case, they announced a polls. They asked people if they would do the same as I did. And it was uh, 45% of those who've been asked said yes. And among young people up to 24 years old, uh, it was 63%. And... Um, Since the decision of Constitutional Tribunal, we have the highest numbers of percent of people who want to have abortion on demand up to 12 weeks. It's more than 70 percent. So the change has happened. I think like what you just said gives a bit of hope in a context of a very grim picture. And you mentioned uh, the decision of the Constitutional uh, Tribunal. So for those who don't know very much about the context uh, in Poland, Would you explain us uh, what is the situation related to the access to abortion, specifically in relation to the near to total ban on abortion that was passed on uh, October 2020? And uh, what are the risks for women also? So luckily, still we can order abortion pills, but everyone, every person who wants to help can be criminalized. In the healthcare system, in the hospitals, you can get only abortion because of two reasons after the decision of Constitution to Tribunal in October 2020. The first reason is a sexual crime, and the second one is when our health is at risk. But in practical, it's almost impossible to get those abortions because doctors are really afraid of proceeding these abortions in the hospitals. This is a torture when you have to go through this. People rather want to order pills and do it at home. And same with this medical reasons. People travel with abortion without borders more often than they go to the hospitals and ask doctors for help. I really understand what you say because, for instance, in my case, I come from Italy and technically the right to abortion is guaranteed. But then uh, also you have uh, cases of doctors that refuse to perform an abortion. So 
technically also what's written on paper usually does not uh, reflect uh, reality. But I also hear that you mentioned many times the work of organizations like Abortion Without Borders or uh, the Abortion Dream Team. You said you're part of these organizations. So I would like to ask you if you could tell us uh, a bit more about uh, how Polish women are organizing and uh, resisting these uh, de facto ban on abortion and how these organizations work. In 2016, together with other organizations, we opened the Abortion Dream Team. And uh, together with uh, other four organizations from uh, Germany, Netherlands and UK, we started this initiative, Abortion Without Borders. And it was the good thing because we started this uh, just before the pandemic, just before the decision of the tribunal. But right now, there are so many other organizations, collectives, groups, which gives this uh, information about how to order abortion pills, to whom to contact. And this is not our dream to centralize this knowledge because we want to rather spread this around the collectives in other cities. Yeah, it sounds very great, actually. At a time where the right to abortion is under threat, it's great that civil society women are uh, organizing to help and support each other. Before concluding, I just wanted to thank you for being with us today and to say uh, once again that we stand with you and uh, with all women who are criminalized for defending access to abortion and for uh, respecting women's choices over their own body. So just uh, my last question, if you could share with us a message about why it's vital to guarantee women access to safe and legal abortion. For sure, we know it, that no matter the laws, people would do abortions in a safe and unsafe way. Because if you are a person who wants to stop your own unwanted pregnancy, you would do it anyway. My court case would happen in also in other European countries because helping in self-managed abortion is also a crime in Belgium, in the UK, and in Germany. And this is what we should think about. Let's stop criminalizing abortions and let's stop criminalizing those who want to help in abortions. So we just heard Justina's stories and uh, of course she's going through a very, very difficult moment. The situation in Poland is terrible. There is not much to add about it. But also her story is really about women's empowerment and women's solidarity. So I think there is uh, some hope for change. Yeah, it was a really powerful moment when she came to speak in the European Parliament in that committee. It kind of stopped everyone in their tracks as if she was saying she was holding up the pills and talking about her experience to say like, look, this is the reality. This is what's going on. And you're basically just ignoring us and people are really suffering and often dying because of us. Also, we heard from Justina a lot of stories of international solidarities. Apparently, it's something that is still going on, but also used to happen years ago. And I think it's also good to focus on stories of success. It's not impossible to get access to safe, free and legal abortion. Like Ireland is a big case yeah. of success. So we reached out to Claire Daly, an Irish MEP, about this. And that's the next interview we have coming up. Uh, Claire's been really active on the issue in Ireland uh, going back over decades. Yes, because actually the referendum was passed in 2018. Yeah. How did the situation change? Yeah, so that's on the fifth anniversary. We're really focused on the 2018 repeal the eighth uh, referendum. It was a huge, it was a massive moment of change, really won by Irish women 
campaigning over decades on behalf of all of us. It was a huge thing in Ireland, but it was also, as you say, like made major waves internationally and gave a lot of hope to women all over the world. So let's hear what she has to say and how that victory happened. It was really what we call an Irish solution to an Irish problem. They were saying in our constitution, you have a right to abortion, but not here. And then tragically later that year, Savita Halapanavar died. And horrible times. This was an Indian woman who had moved to Ireland, who was pregnant with a very wanted pregnancy. She developed health problems and the hospital wouldn't perform an abortion because there was still a heartbeat. The woman ended up dying. Obviously, the fetus died. Uh, Horrible. So that was the last straw for people said, that's it now. Never again. Yeah, so this is quite a typically Irish political establishment approach to things. It's just export the problem. Everyone knows the problem exists, but because the society was so close, so influenced by the church, it was much easier just to ignore it and send those women to other countries to do what they needed to do. I think it's shocking because uh, it's a sort of uh, escape valve. You Mm. can go abroad, but then... uh, There is a really class dynamic behind it because not everyone can afford to travel to get an abortion. It's all about stigma. How does a woman who maybe already has children, who doesn't want her partner, maybe she has a violent partner, she doesn't want this latest pregnancy, but she has small children. How does she leave them for a weekend and explain that you have to go to the UK? How do you come up with the money if you are restricted like that? Well, I think Claire made it clear now that travelling abroad is a sort of full solution. can help some, but can also leave uh, many other women in a really big problem. Yeah, and the way the activist movements of uh, different organisations made that clear during the referendum uh, campaign was really impressive. And the day after the results came out, actually Claire details their work going back to the 80s, back to the 70s, in a really good speech she did in the Irish Parliament in the Dáil. You can look it up on YouTube. It's from 2018 and uh, still really, really worth watching. Yeah, I've also heard the Claire's speech. It was amazing. She said that it was a ball and chain that uh, dodged women for years. That was finally gone. But also she tells us a bit more about the campaign that was uh, taking place before the referendum. Yeah, and their campaign, the ones who wanted to repeal the eighth, the slogan was trust women. Bringing it down to the individual and saying you can't generalise because everybody's unwanted pregnancy is a different unwanted pregnancy. So if we want people to make choices that are right for them, the solution is not to ban abortion. It's to give them supports to deal with an unwanted pregnancy or to have children with the proper care and attention that they need and support. So once people came forward and it wasn't about a general law or these mad slogans, People told their stories. Yeah, and I think making it personal like that and making sure the people, the women were able to tell their stories made it really hard for politicians to be against the referendum. Pushed them into this position where this was a hugely almost consensual thing in Irish society and became extremely powerful on the yes side of the campaign. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we also asked Claire about this experience, how the political uh, aspect of the referendum was shaped. And she gave us an overview. We saw the politicians in Ireland, some of them who would have started off as by saying they're anti-abortion, 
But, well, everybody is anti-abortion. I mean, nobody wants an abortion. It's about saying a woman has to have a right to decide what to do with her body. Everybody made their own mind up. And then you got the figure of the 66%. It was really positive at the time because we're so used to so much uh, disinformation and fake news going back before the concept of fake news in Ireland, really, especially around abortion referendums, because we've had a few since the 1980s. Usually they're extremely well-funded campaigns by the Catholic Church or from uh, US kind of fundamentalist Christian movements. And of course, we still see that going on today in parts of Europe. Yeah, exactly. And for me, it's striking that uh, people buy these narratives, that uh, women just want to kill babies. And unfortunately, we still see this across Europe, like we see this in Italy now that Giorgia Meloni has been elected. It happens in Hungary, it happens in Poland. And it's also a bit what uh, Justina was telling us. And of course, it's a narrative. It's a far narrative, but it has real world effects like we saw in the USA last June with the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision already. Abortion is banned in 16 states, I think. And in some states, you can only have an abortion up to six weeks of pregnancy. So things have become a lot more restricted because of this narrative in some countries that very wealthy organizations are funding. But also we asked Claire about her thoughts, about Justina's stories. So maybe we can uh, listen to her thoughts. Making her a criminal for helping another woman is just an abomination in this day and age. But when you have legislation like this, this is what they're doing to try and chill and have that stifling effect on other people. And it's all about putting barriers in the way of women. I'm well aware of the work that she has done in providing services to Polish women, uh, be it financial aid, be it providing them with access across the borders. And this was exactly the type of service that Irish women depended upon. And women like Justina in Ireland and women in the UK who fundraised, who gave money, who gave their houses for women who were coming over are just heroes. Unfair laws have to be broken. The truth is ordinary people in Ireland were very progressive on these issues years ago and it was the political establishment that blocked that progress. It's the same in Poland. Yeah, and for Claire, it's clear what we need to do to drive change. Social progress has to come from the streets, from the women's organisations, from the trade unions, from below to demand justice. Yeah, and in this case and in most cases, people are years ahead of the political establishments on these kind of issues. And that's why we're trying to be the voice of the streets here in the European Parliament, because that's where the solutions are. Exactly. You just need to look left. Thanks, David. We will take a close look at how things move on and how long it will take to guarantee access to free, safe and legal abortion. Thanks, Marcella. Slán. And that was it for the third episode of Look Left, a podcast from the left in the European Parliament. Let us know what you think about this episode. Feel free to reach out to us. We are always happy to receive your comments and questions. If you want to know more about our campaign on the right to abortion in the EU, you can subscribe to My Choice, our monthly newsletter available on our website left.eu A big thank to our editor Maria Dios from Bulle Media Sound design and mixing are by Jeremy Bouquet Until the next episode, look left! <laughs>